ladies and gentlemen, uh, episode 30 is bringing you uh, a living legend in uh, the basketball community of British Columbia. Um, it's hard to put into words uh, the amount of people this man has influenced through the game, the amount of young men that he's had the opportunity to coach, um, myself being one of them. Um, and it is an absolute pleasure to have none other than Mr. Rich Goulet with us this evening. How are you, Coach Goulet? Well, I'm fine, Aaron. Thank you for inviting me. You know, um, obviously, you know, you've been dealing with some health stuff and we've been wanting to get you on for a while, but also very aware of giving you your space and time. So I know that, uh, you know, you're, you're dealing with a lot of things right now and just give us an idea of how you're feeling, how things are going, you know, what your spirit is like and Obviously, you're feeling well enough to come on the podcast and BS with us for a little bit, so you must be doing okay. Well, I'm doing all right. I, as you know, I had a leg amputated, mm -hmm. and, you know, that's healed. And I basically, my mobility is in a wheelchair right now, but I'm looking forward to getting a prosthetic in the next four months. Oh, awesome. Good for you. You know, when, when so, I... You know, People might still see me around a basketball court. Oh boy, we were just talking about this before. Uh, Corbin said, "So I, I guess he's finished coaching then." And we both kind of looked at each other, and there was a moment of silence, kind of like, oh, "I don't know, I wouldn't count that out." But <laughs> you're um, not the only ones who have come to that conclusion. <laughs> I love it. You know what? One of the things I've always admired about you, coach, is. Uh, um, I've really never heard you complain about your own like personal life or anything that way. And you've always been someone who's been a hard worker and kind of, and, and selfless. So I, I knew that although you had some health challenges, um, and I'm sure, you know, mentally there's been some exhausting days for you knowing what you're like as a person and, and hopefully that you understand how many people there really are behind supporting you, um, praying for you, thinking of you, we, we put an Instagram post of you on our Instagram page and the comments were crazy. Just people that I don't even know. Corbin doesn't know, just saying, wishing him well, such a great guy. You know, we're thankful for him. So hopefully you're feeling a little bit of that positive energy on a daily basis too, knowing that there's lots of people pulling for you. Well, this situation did catch me by surprise. It was kind of overnight. Mm -hmm. And I have seen all the support that's come from all the different areas. You guys have put something on the internet, and so did Paul Eberhardt. And from Paul Eberhardt's post, I received messages from people I haven't seen in 30 years, maybe 40. But it was nice to hear from them. Yeah, I think that's, you know, one of the things is that, you know, you did have a few scares and it happened quickly. So people were, you know, cautioned quickly. And then I think upon reflection, now that you're healing and improving and getting stronger, I think it makes people realize that, hey, we need to reach out to different people and check in more, right? And and even with COVID and the pandemic being separated from people, I think it's changed a lot of different people's perspectives about what really matters in life. And um, I'm glad that, uh, you know, been able to experience some positives through this and know that lots of people are still pulling for you. Well, thank you for your thoughts. You're more than welcome. As we 
getting a little bit of goosebumps as we sit here um, in the St. Thomas More Gymnasium PE office because um, <laughs> there's no there's there's no four year old running around here and it's nice and quiet and uh, we can have a good conversation. So, you know, just let's just get going right away and talk to us about you as a young boy and what your life was like, um, kind of where you grew up and and how sports started to come into your life and and get you to where you are now. Well, I grew up in Millardville, which is uh, this part of Coquitlam, which is down by by the old Municipal Hall. Okay, so we used to be able to walk to Municipal Hall in about five minutes. Then they move it to the center of the district. And I never played sports when I was a young guy. I was in a large family. My parents didn't weren't really athletic. Some of my older brothers and sisters were to a certain extent, but not to the extent that we all wanted to join right away. So actually my early things in anything athletic was gymnastics class, which I took for about three years. And we did a section on basketball. And the first thing that happened was I broke my finger. And so that put me off of basketball immediately. However, a few years later, I seemed to get interested in it all over, and that was the start. I was able to continue that when I went to St. Thomas More. Fortunately for me, I was young, pretty well inexperienced. So was everybody else at St. Thomas More because the school had just opened. Do you want to give us the year that that was where you started here? Well, <laughs> I, was, I came in there in 1963, graduated in 1964 in the first ever graduating class okay, so that's where i was at we played basketball and put a team together uh but we never had a gym we had to go to downton hall and newestminster or to any gym in a parish whatever my coach was brother slattery who being a member of the st thomas moore community you must know fairly well of him at least absolutely sure do yeah. Um, what I was going to say, too, was when you mentioned the gymnastics, now all the team camp handsprings, they make sense now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did a lot of gymnastics, both in a class and on my own in the summer. Yeah. Also interesting, too, you know, thinking about it, you meant I know you're a French teacher when you were before you retired and growing up in Millardville. So the French connection makes sense there as well. I'm Few, yeah. Hit a few home runs in Mackin Park uh, myself <laughs> back in the day. So you know, yeah, Mackin Park was a uh, just uh, was right across the street from the old Municipal Hall. So I went there often, and I watch a lot of mini teams play baseball as well as a spectator. Yeah. I might yeah, have yeah. seen you. You never know. Yeah, I would have been the kid who looked like he was uh, five <laughs> years older than everybody else. You know, you know that. <laughs> The one illegal on each team, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, you, you start playing hoops here at STM and Brother Slattery takes on the team. And, you, you know, how was that experience and what was it about basketball? And you, you mentioned that it started to come back into your life. What was it about the sport that drew you back into it? Was it, you know, being able to be with your teammates or the fact that it's, you know, it's an individual sport in, in a way that you can improve on your own? You don't need a lot of things or was it more... Um, kind of just being a part of a team that, that really drew you into it? 
Well, for me, it was just being part of a team and loving the sport. Okay, I grew to love the sport very much. I now, yeah. I mean, we have to look at what year it was and who was there. I mean, Brother Slattery, great guy, but not a great coach. Fun guy, but you know, not the greatest of coaches. So I, you know, I kind of looked at that as my example of I wanted to be better than that. Actually, when we were at St. Thomas More, and this is the first two years they had senior, we didn't even know there was a BC championship. First of all, it wasn't even in the conversation, so yeah. we didn't worry about it. Yeah. I only found out about it because I was listening to the radio one night, and the BC championship was on the radio from, from at that time, I think it was the Coliseum. Okay. That's hilarious. So... Let's just say the the program was a little bit young. Is that what we would call it? <laughs> oh, yeah. We didn't have a gym. Once yeah. they built a gym, then the program took off way faster than when they didn't have a gym. Yeah. I, and, and what was the transition to you getting a job at STM after you graduated? Where, what, what, How did that morph into for you? Like, Was it right away? I've never really asked this about you. Yeah. Well, that's part of my journey is that when I was at UBC, 19 years old, I got a knock on the door from the guy there was one of the guys who played on my CYO team, which is a Catholic youth organization team. We, we had a league back then, and he was saying that he was coaching a young kids team at Our Lady of Fatima, yep. and... He knew that I was interested, so why didn't I get a team from Our Lady of Lourdes, which we both went to, and then he would have somebody to compete against. Of course, we did, I did that, and we played three games, and I lost all three games. So that was my first year experience. <laughs> so then I went back for two more years, and by the third year, I was playing 50 games. Now, at the end of the third year, uh, and I was finished university, Basically, I had done my PDP at Simon Fraser. I was did the rest at at UBC, then went to Simon Fraser. I was coaching the junior team at St. Thomas More in that year that I did the PDP. And so after it was all over, they asked me if I wanted to come and teach, and I took the job. Awesome. And I um, became the junior coach. And like, when did, when did you know inside of you that coaching was going to be a part of your life? It seems like you had that pretty, that drive or passion for it quite early. I mean, a lot of people that are 19 are still trying to figure out who they are and you were willing to, you know, take an, an elementary school team and, and make it something real. And next thing you know, you're coaching a junior program too. So was coaching something that you had thought about or did it just kind of organically grow? And, well, it and kind of went with something? teaching, right? I yeah. always wanted to be a teacher, and I always thought that I would teach something like social studies. But when I became a teacher, what I really wanted to do was coach basketball. Right. So kind of went hand in hand. And when you get to STM, so it's all boys at that time, and, and it's, it's probably pretty small, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm How very are we used talking? to coaching in small schools. Yeah, you, you were? So SEM might have been 300 or 400 at that time. 
Yeah. And so my transition from the junior team to the senior team happened in one year. <laughs> so, and I don't know, you, you might know a little bit about this, but a lot of our teachers back then, at least eight were Christian brothers. You yeah. don't have as many now. Yeah. But our senior boys basketball coach, who I played one-on-one -on -one against every day, you know, pulled me aside and said, oh, you're the senior coach next year. I said, that can't be. I'm the junior coach. He <laughs> says, oh, no, you're the senior coach. I said, really? And he said, yeah, well, we're all leaving. So they were all leaving to get married. So we had three yeah. brothers that were coaching basketball, grade eight, grade nine, senior. They were all departing to go, co to go get married. So yeah. I was the only guy left the next year. So I had the job automatically. I didn't even have to, you know, try out for it. Yeah, you didn't even you didn't even do anything yet. But I think it was an obviously a good transition. But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, we only have you know we still have uh, brother Casty and brother Bassett in the halls. But you know the the right. days of so the brother Bassett even... would know some of this. Yeah, for sure. And so so what was it like being so young? You know, one year as the junior coach, you're fresh off PDP. And all of a sudden, you're coaching senior boys basketball. Um, how was it? And did you kind of map out an idea well, of what you wanted the program to be like? Or did you just sort of survive day to day? Well, the first year was pretty tough. I, we didn't win very many games. And, you know, the fun part was we, I was coaching against people that, you know, were people that I saw coaching that I wanted to meet. And I wanted to know more about them. I so the people that were at North Delta, North Surrey, everything. So that was the neat part, but uh, we were getting our asses kicked pretty well the first year. <laughs> I and then the second year was it the first year or the second year? I'm trying to remember now. I took a bunch of kids down to the Bob Hubregs basketball camp, mm -hmm. dropped them off on a Sunday, and went back and picked them up on a Saturday. And as I'm picking them up on a Saturday, and I don't know if you've ever been down there, but you, you know, you have to kind of get out of your car and go across about six hoops. The guy who was running the camp, okay, came running at me and saying, oh, are you coming back next year? And I looked at the kids and they all nodded that they wanted to come back. So I said, yeah, I'll bring them back. And they said, well, then you're coming too. Mm -hmm. So I went back the next year, and you know what? That was the biggest improvement right there for our kids to do some work in the summer at an American camp. And for me to learn at an American camp was a great thing too. So we had that going with us for several years at St. Thomas More. In fact, a couple of kids became like residents of that camp. They went every year. Mm -hmm. That's but awesome. it gave us a chance to meet Bob Hubregs, Les Haberger. Les Haberger was a co-owner with Bob Hubregs. You know that both of these guys were like the general manager of the Supersonics. Yeah, I remember. So that. I we remember. saw us. Wow. So we saw NBA players all the time. And it also gave me a chance to meet Marv Harshman. So I managed to meet Marv Harshman and work at his camp. And I'm... Um, Trying to think of the other, like the guard who played for Seattle, who had a, a camp at the same time. 
Lenny Wilkins. So yeah. I get back from the Who Breaks camp one day and immediately get a phone call from the Lenny Wilkins camp that they need another coach when I come down. So I went down to that, not even knowing where I was going. <laughs> My God, I go to that part of uh, Seattle nowadays. It's like getting lost. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But it was fun. Yeah, it's funny. Um, many people kind of from your era, um, let's say vintage, talk about the the what camps were like back in the day. And, you know, as a player, I got to experience that. I went down to Oregon State and, you know, would always try to get down south as much as I could. But the opportunities for coaches to develop as well, because like you mentioned, you got, that was like free pro D for you, right? You get to go down and you're working with all these oh, great yeah. minds and seeing a whole different level. And you're, you know, who needs YouTube when you're like sitting in the heart of it, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the summers there, I don't think I had a week off. I went <laughs> to a camp every week, including one at, uh, University of Alberta, Alberta, and one in Newfoundland. My one of the brothers said, "Oh, I need to get you to come to Newfoundland and run a camp." So I went to Newfoundland and ran a camp. That was an <laughs> eye opener. I get there; they've got new balls. They're all rubber, no leather balls. I, I said, "Well, when's how long is the camp?" Then I found out the camp was all day and all night. So it went from nine in the morning till nine at night, and I was the only coach. Okay, that was my life. <laughs> and were you like, did they at least give you a nice hotel, or were you up in like a brother's residence? Oh no, somewhere? I stayed where the brothers stayed. Yeah. Oh no, I was a real missionary that week. <laughs> and there was no pay. It was all they. It was all donated. They didn't add. They didn't expect me to ask for pay. They just expected that I would donate the week. <laughs> Even though they never mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny but too. It was those, fun. Yeah. And it's funny how, how many people have well have just um, done things. I mean, you're basically volunteering there, but like people that have just volunteered or given time just because they wanted to learn and grow and felt like they were helping and making an impact on others. And I think, you know, you've done that so much and, you bring up instantly right away. It's interesting to me talking about taking the kids down South, the camps. And I've always just been blown away. I remember the summer that we had the provincial team, the seven U 17s together with Scott. And, you know, you had your laptop and you're showing me all your pie charts and who's fundraised what money. <laughs> and, and you, you know, you're tracking all the kids because you're just trying to create these great memories and experiences for them and taking them to Maui and all these great right. places. And it's, it's interesting to know that that was ingrained in you early on. And, um, I find that really, really cool. Um, when did you feel like you got the program here at STM to a level where you guys were, you know, competitive? You talked about that first year being rough, but it seems like the kids started to buy in. And My second year at STM, we made the – well, there was only single A and double A back then. So we made the single A championship and went to Kelowna and learned the price of being overconfident. We yeah. probably should have won that, but we didn't. Okay. The next year, we went double A and finished in the final four of the BCs at the Coliseum. The year after that, we went back to single A, hosted the tournament in 1975, and in one of the greatest finales I can remember, we uh, we won that. 
And uh, you might remember Joe Thierman. Well, Joe Thierman played on that team for me, and he scored a, a basket with basically no time left for the win. And on the other team was Ian Hindley and his team from Vancouver Island. Yeah. I, so it was a tough final, and we won it. And then the year after that, 1976, we went back to single A, not because I wanted to, only because the kids wanted to. And they won back-to-back in what was not a very thrilling year. It was more thrilling to get there than it was to be there. We just walked all over everybody. And then in 1977, we missed making the double-A championship by one point on two consecutive nights. The second night, we lost to Vancouver College. So the kids were heartbroken. They all came back the next year, so we had a very young team. And we ended up walking over everybody in the uh, Lower Mainland, winning the Lower Mainland and going to the BCs and finishing in the Final Four there too. So by that time, the program was in grain. But, you know, grain in my head, not necessarily in everybody's head at St. Thomas More. <laughs> hey, you you know what? You, you're still candid. I love it. Um, we had Ian Highway hey, on the... The road to success has some little pebbles in it that are obstacles that you have to learn to go over or go around. But sometimes a big door comes down and smashes the earth and you're done. Yeah. And you have to move on. Yeah. So despite all my successes, I mean, the people, the powers that be at St. Thomas where didn't want me to coach anymore. Mm-hmm. I said BS to this and I moved on to another school. Awesome. And before we talk about that transition, we had Ian Hydley on the podcast and he mentioned that final and it sounds like he's still mildly scarred by it. Um, oh, he, yes. Yeah. Um, when Ian Hydley beat my team for the BC Championship, that was the biggest moment in his life because he managed to get it back after all those years. <laughs> Meanwhile, I wasn't even thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> but I How was he as a player? When we played a little later at Vancouver College, and I didn't know this, he brought Steve Nash in. Steve Nash was in town, so he asked Steve Nash to appear at the game. We're playing his team at Vancouver College in a Saturday afternoon tournament game. Means nothing. We're just playing. And all of a sudden, at the end of the game, my players have all taken off to the stands. And I turned to my assistant coach at that time, was Ron Wallsmith. And I turned to him and I said, What am I missing here? What's going on? He says, Well, Steve Nash is here. Well, he brought Steve Nash in it to motivate his kids. So he was still feeling it years later. That's awesome. That sounds very high. <laughs> like, that sounds very hides like how was he as a player? Oh, Do you yeah. remember? I mean, he was the MVP of the tournament. I'm I'm sure he was pretty hard nosed and a tough guy. I don't remember his team. I just remember him. Oh, okay. Wow. I all I know is the I'm trying to think of the name of the school he came from. Not SMU, Shonigan? but Shawnigan Lake. Right. Yeah. They came to St. Thomas More. They were all dressed up in cardigans and hats. And, you you know, they were a first-class team in the tournament. We liked them a lot. That's all I remember about the team. But they also had Ian, which I did scout. 
So yeah. I had to find a solution for Ian. Yeah. And I can't even remember what that solution was. It was probably double teaming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what was the, I mean, you know, I got to experience a pretty, a few fun games um, at the chancellor tournament and some big games here to coach in, in the old gym. You know, uh, one thing everybody that's an alumni or even Ian himself talk about was like the crowd and the atmosphere at that final was, they all say it was just crazy and the walls were sweating and that old STM gym was pretty fun. Hey. Oh, right. I remember the walls sweating. Like you can almost see the water coming down to the floor. Yeah. But that's why it got uh, taken down because it really had some uh, airflow problems in there. So yeah. at some point there, they ripped all the boards off near the walls to get airflow. Yeah. It, it wasn't like, it wasn't a good look. The new gym yeah, that true. they have there now is awesome. You yeah. coach in an awesome gym. Yeah, I know we're pretty, pretty lucky. It's pretty nice, but um, yeah. those airflow issues will probably come back to haunt me in about 20 years. So, <laughs> um, so will you be there in 20 years? <laughs> uh, wah, wah, wah. I don't know. Question. We'll see. Well, after this podcast, we plan to uh, have things take off and Spotify call us and offer us millions of dollars. So, you know, we may, <laughs> we may just become professional podcasters after we get you on here. <laughs> okay, well, um, that's good. So talk about a different time, right? You, you know, you say, you know, in, in, in an era where, you know, if I'm, I'm a teacher here at STM and I want to move on and teach somewhere else, it's not as easy for me now to just say, hey, I'd like to go here because... You know, schools look at things differently, but how did Pitt Metals come into play? Was it something that was on your radar or well, was it a phone call? Or Here's how it worked. Mm -hmm. First of all, I'm in the staff room when I've just said to the idiot brother who was the principal at that time that I wasn't coming back. And <laughs> I got a phone call from Ken Dockendorf and I told him that I wasn't coming back. And he says, oh, I know somebody that would like a coach. Uh, of course, it wasn't somebody in a big school. It was somebody in a little unknown school called Pitt Meadows. So I met the principal of Pitt Meadows, and I had a job immediately. Nice. So basically, within five minutes, I had a job. Now, that's not going to happen to anybody today because no. principals don't get to hire their own guys. Yeah. But... The principal of Pitt Meadows, he, we had a, a little meeting. He talked to me, and as soon as that was over, he was taking me downtown Maple Ridge to the superintendent and signing me up and saying to everybody that now he was going to win a championship. He had Rich Goulet. And I'm going like, hold on here now. You're not, you can't promise a championship. He said he wanted a championship within five years. <laughs> so he could retire. I said, oh, you know, there really wasn't very much in the school. Right. But as it turned out, within three years, we made it to a BC tournament mm -hmm. when, with not very much talent, and we didn't go very far, maybe 13th or something. And the next year, we came back with most of the same kids, and we won it. It's two unbelievable games at the end of the semifinal and the final. We were down in the last two minutes in both of them and came back and took over the, the control of the game and won them. I, 
were some amazing performances by some kids then. And, you know, these kids are not like memorable kids that we're going to put in an almanac or anything. They're just your regular, you know, type of hardworking kids that wanted to be in a program that were very loyal, worked their butts off, and went to the tournament. And who, who were some of those kids? Um, I can't even remember their names. That's how <laughs> long it's been. <laughs> I've, I've always wondered that if you know you coach long enough, it must just all kind of blur together. Um, oh, yeah, it does. Were those provincial championships at the Agrodome? Uh, no, they were single leg championships. So they were at DW Poppy. Okay. All right. And then well, 75 was at our place. Excuse me. 76 was at Hope. So, and DW Poppy hosted before that. So the first time I made it was because it was at DW Poppy. So the thing I liked is we never had to travel very much. So we didn't have to spend hours in a car. It was easy to get to where we were going. And and so, you know, you're, you get to pit metals and you're pretty established and pretty comfortable. And you know, how how long do you think till the program is where you, where you kind of want it to be? After 76, I just looked at all the kids and I said, we need to go double A in 77. And so they didn't even question it. I went double A. And in mm-hmm. 77, we lost those two games by one point. Okay. And in 78, our first trip to the BC Championship were definitely what you would call a Cinderella team, totally Cinderella team. Never been there before. No, had no idea what it was all about. We played our butts off. Ended up playing Ken Dockador's Maple Ridge team in the final and won by a point. Right. So it was, again, another very exciting final right on the edge, which I think if you're winning his championship, that's what you want. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you definitely want a good final, yeah. Sometimes, you know, the, there's you watch the provincial championships and there's like a a final that's not as competitive it's kind of like ah you know you like to see both teams be able to give their best effort and leave it all out there and you know sometimes you get those years where maybe you guys play each other seven times and it's four three for one team you know (laughs) well we know all about that between maple ridge and get medals yeah for sure it was tough to get it was tough to get a hoop yeah very tough yeah so talk about that scouted to a t yeah, talk about the brand of basketball that you enjoyed coaching and maybe touch a little bit about, for people that don't know, um, I absolutely, one of my fondest memories every year, every summer, because, you know, Richie Chambers let me play at a younger age, but just getting to go and be a part of your team camp, I thought that was such a cool model and just an opportunity yeah. for so many kids to play against so many different players over a week. And then you think about the talent of coaching that we received Um you know, in a week's time, like just all those things. So talk about ball in the Valley, you know, well, as Pitt Meadows starts to roll and become a powerhouse in the province year in and year out and, you know, the rivalries and team camp, there's so many things that we could touch on. Well, the team camp came after 1978. And of course I had a reputation by then because I was also the provincial coach for some years coming up in the eighties. So my name started to spread all over the place. So it was easy to get things going and get people involved and get people to a team camp. And the team camp continued on until we have all these 
clubs now coming into it in the 2000s and they kind of took over the summer so a lot of coaches didn't want to put their teams together for the team camp which is too bad because the team camp was such a great experience oh i it was i mean for those that don't know right it was you know you had you had teams sleeping in classrooms um that was the days where you just needed one guy on the team to have their license and they could get mom or dad's minivan and they could truck seven guys out and you go do skills and drills in the morning and you know it was highly competitive and you would see different different uh styles of coaching and then we would play games in the afternoon and you were completely exhausted by the end of the week but you know friday wrapping up with shooting contests and your famous you know handspring and one on one you <laughs> know the one on one yeah famous talk with the one on one ladders like just so many cool things and i think in terms of when i think about you as a coach you were just so ahead of the you're you're so ahead of your time and you're thinking you're so forward thinking and it was always a it was always for the kids and when you think about all that you accomplished for uh you know the city of pit meadows and the the money that you raised and the the experiences you gave that community but also other other communities i know guys that i played with that were able to be part of team camp that still talk about that right and i got to take our stm teams there um for a few years and and they had a great experience so you know i think we thank you for that and just um it is too bad that it was not able to continue because it was a it was an awesome you know an awesome experience yeah, one of the big things about it was I was able to get small teams, teams that had no recognition, but whose coaches were keen. They, I'd say, hey, come to our team camp. So they would come to our team camp. Of course, it would blow them away. They'd get competition against everybody. And that was the important thing about team camp is that there were 3A, 2A, 1A teams there. So they got to play everybody. So yeah. teams that they would not see during the year, they're going to see there. So at the top of the history of the team camp, I think there were 45 teams in the senior camp and 25 teams in the junior camp. So over wow. two weeks, we had 70 teams. And of course, I said, thank all my friends in Coquitlam and Maple Ridge for giving me their gyms and being instructors at their gyms. I mean, mm -hmm. otherwise it wouldn't have worked out. But it did work out because we all worked together, which I don't see enough of nowadays. Yeah. Of course, coaches can't use their gym the way they could back then. Back then, we controlled our gym. We wanted a week for team camp. We just booked it, and that was it. Nowadays, you book a week for team camp. Here comes uh, the trustee wondering how much money they're going to get from it. Mm -hmm. Sad. Good Lad Clothing is the most unique shopping experience in the Lower Mainland. The owner Shane Meyer has worked hard to create a personal experience, offering clothing, specialized coffee, haircuts, and beard trims. Located in Lower Lonsdale at 221 West Esplanade in North Vancouver, seconds from the C-Bus. If you are unable to make it to the store, you can shop online at shopthefoldgroup.com. And oh yeah, in store, if you mention a hoops journey, you'll receive 15% off anything store-wide. We want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Parkside Brewery. Located in the heart of Port Moody on Brewers Row, Parkside offers an amazing atmosphere with one of the best summer patios around. If you can't make it to the brewery located at 2731 Murray Street, 
then hit any government retail store and try the Dawn Pilsner, the Dusk Pale Ale, or my favorite, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA. A Hoops Journey promises that the beer at Parkside is much, much, much better than the owner, Sam Payne's Streaky Jump Shot. We hope to see you Parkside. Yeah, it is sad. I remember too, you know, I don't know if you ever did it, but did probably five or six summers of the Penticton camp with Kevin Hansen. And then, you know, up up there, it was just too expensive to run the cost for the gyms. And, you know, they want to charge more for air conditioning. And it was just like, this is just crazy, right? And, and you know, in the end, who gets affected? It's the kids, right? It's the... And of course, nothing's happening in the gym, meanwhile. Right. It's just sitting there, totally. Just yeah. sitting there doing nothing. Yeah. You couldn't. It could supply a valuable service to somebody. And I think these people who are these trustees and these principals, they forget that we are all volunteers and we are working for nothing. Mm-hmm. For them to give us the gym for a week is just recognition of all the work that we put in. Yeah. I couldn't have said it any better myself, Coach. Um, yeah. So who, were, who early on, who were some of the key players? I know some names. Um, being someone who was young and um a huge fan of the bc high school tournament and you know my dad taking us to the tournament every year and allowing us to see players you know like from from steinfeld to 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 welsh to there's so many players right. over the years right and those guys were well for me in this uh, provincial teams yeah. yeah 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 so my starting at pit medals was uh 89 and it wasn't until 1993 that I got to a BC tournament and that was also in Kelowna and a lot of people from town from Pitt Meadows went up there with us and we lost that again a matter of overconfidence and then in not 1999 I think it's 1984 uh, the next year 1985 we hosted the tournament and we won it we had a better sense of confidence then. In 86, we won. In 87, we went to the big show. And 88, went to the big show. And then in 89, we're, we're still double A. I was going to stay in that division as long as I could. I felt I could compete. So I thought I had a pretty good team in 89. But we weren't very big. I mean... We kind of uh, beat the standard of what people thought was a provincial championship team. Mm. They said if you were small, you couldn't win. If you hadn't been there before, you couldn't win. If you played a zone, you couldn't win. And I did all three. <laughs> and a small team that played a zone, and we won. Mm-hmm. And then 90, uh, we continued to go on to double A. 92, we finished in the final two. Uh, that was the year we played Steve Nash in the final. I had Scott Walton. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was the beginning of the big guy at Pitt Meadows. Yeah. Because as soon as Scott Malton left, we had Curtis Meffa, yep. who was a 30-point-a-game guy, six foot eight, great form as a player. And then as he did his two years, along came some more big guys. We didn't 
do as well till we got Aaron Christensen at the year 1999. Mm -hmm. okay? Aaron Christensen. So here's a good story for you. You know Aaron, I'm sure. Yep. Being an SFU guy. So Aaron, Aaron Christian is a Mormon. And I've done the mini program at Pitt Meadows, and I've done a little summer spring team with all the kids and competed. And these guys keep telling me that, oh, you haven't seen Aaron yet. And so Aaron hasn't been out because we play on Sundays. And he's a Mormon, and he can't play on Sundays. So then one day he walked into the gym, and I went, snap. There it is. There's the missing link. We have a chance to win the BC championship. Mm -hmm. So with him there, I coached that team in grade eight, grade nine, junior and senior. We had all the pieces. We had a guard. We had fours that were big and good on defense. And we had Aaron who was good on at center. And Aaron was a very good leader, very good person. Oh, man. It was strange mm -hmm. that in the final game, he led us to the final game. But in the final game, he fouled out with, uh, what was it, 10 minutes to go? Was that he against fouled out and it was, And uh, so people actually started headed for the, uh, the exits. And we mounted a comeback. We're playing against Richie Chambers and Terry Fox. Yeah, yeah. So we mounted a comeback. Our guard hits a three. We come back down, we hit a two, we come back down, we hit a three, and all of a sudden we're at the last shot, which we make to put us into overtime. And in an overtime, we just ran away with it, even though we didn't have Aaron Christensen. Crazy. But I know Aaron was praying for us in a way. That's the kind of kid he was. Yeah, for sure. It's funny too how sometimes, you know, like as a as a coach, you put your teams in situations and, and hope that they'll be ready. But then, you know, they're still teenagers and they're young. And, and then, uh, you know, their be your best player fouls out and you're like, okay, how are our boys going to respond? But somehow as a group, they just have it and they have the ability to keep it together and, and end up pulling the game out. Like you just never know with, with these kids, right? It's, it's, it's not how the boys are going to respond. Sometimes it's how the coach is going to respond. Sure. I mean, I looked around myself going, oh, we had basically five starters that year. And I looked at the bench, and the biggest kid out there was a grade 11 kid who hadn't played all that much. So I put him in, in that position. Mm -hmm. And he's the guy who scored the tying basket to go in overtime. Hmm. So you never know. You do never know. Um how about, uh, you know, Scott Walden as a high school player, you know, guy wins the dunk contest. And I remember that, that year vividly just because, you know, I was in grade 10. And so it was just, a, it's very strong in my memory and, and you guys knocking off uh, <laughs> Vancouver College. Can you talk about sitting on the floor? Oh, getting that the was a great game. <laughs> that was a great we game. We played Vancouver College and we just had their number. We had played them previously in the year, but we just had their number. And that was a game where I sat the players on the floor when we were up a few uh, points with yeah. uh, was it less than a minute to go. Yeah. Bob Corbett, who was at Vancouver College, was just livid. Yeah. I, but I said to him, well, we weren't going to follow you. As much as you wish we would follow you, we yeah. were not going to follow you. 
And he says, well, you could have taken the team out of bounds. I said, no, nah, that's risky. Okay, I don't know if you can put a team out of bounds with the plays on. Right? But, yeah, so I'd, I'd given uh, Scott permission to go in a dunk contest. Yeah. So he went in a dunk contest, and we had just, after waiting all year, got his, like, huge, tall sweatpants that would go with the team, right? Yeah. So he put them down by the basket where he was doing the dunks, and somebody stole his pants. <laughs> <laughs> he won the contest. He lost his pants after <laughs> waiting all year for them to arrive. <laughs> well, <laughs> you did well, always you did always have your team swagged out. That's for sure. That the, the yeah. Meadows Marauders always had some some flashy jerseys and some nice gear. That's for sure. Well, I had a fortunate situation at St. Thomas More. I was able to form one of the first lottery groups in the name of the basketball team. So I went through thousands of dollars in swag and other stuff while I was there. Yeah. Even to the point that in my last two years, I gave the brothers, and the, the brother I gave it to was my high school coach, Brother Slattery. He was the guy who was running all this hoop-rah at, at St. Thomas More. I gave him a check for $25,000 one year, and then I gave him a check for 50000 the next year. <laughs> and what did I get for the next year is a thank you. Oh, we don't need you as a coach anymore. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> there was a lot of jealousy back then. Right. You are in the Hall of Fame, though. I am, and they aren't. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't take that away from me. Oh, my God. And I, I received it. the Prime Minister's Award for Volunteerism. Yep. Which is that I got into the Hall of Fame in 2012. In 2013, I was taken to Ottawa, where there was an official ceremony for people from all the provinces. And I received the first ever award for BC in the Yukon. So they can't take that away from me either. You got it, man. Absolutely. Um, and then talk a little bit about, um, before we get, you know, kind of into the 2000s with Pitt Meadows, but when did you start to get involved with the provincial team program and why did you feel like it was important to do it? Was it for your own coaching or was it, you know, well, but I know that you in were in the early 80s. When, when the provincial program started, I was working at the selection camp for, for players. And then um, I'm trying to remember the guy who became the executive director for Basketball BC, former coach at, U, at uh, Vancouver College. Uh, anyway, he got the job as the executive director. And that was in 1984. He just asked me do you want to coach the under-16 provincial team? So I said, yes. And I coached that team, which was about half under-15s and half under-16s. And we went to Phoenix and came back. It wasn't much of a program, but it was kind of fun. Mm -hmm. And the next year, because he gave me the job without any meetings or having to be able to say he properly got me the right way, I had to apply for the job again. And of course, I had the interview and everything else, and I got the job. <laughs> so 
So it was just all, all making it look right. But that was the year I had J.D. Jackson, <laughs> J.D. Jackson's Hall of Fame. <laughs> I'm sure you know him. Yeah, he's a decent and player. <laughs> that was the year that, uh, oh, what was the UVic coach's name? Uh, Guy Vitri, Ken Shields. Ken Shields. Yeah. Ken Shields. We're in a tournament at Simon Fraser for Expo in 86. Ken Shields there is there to watch the kids in the tournament. We're playing in the final against a team from Los Angeles. So he sees me afterwards. He says, Rich, why didn't you tell me about this kid? And then I said, well, you never asked. And I said, and by the way, he's going to UBC. <laughs> Not you, Vic. <laughs> uh, so that was that. But we ended up playing at the first Western Canada Championships in Alberta. And we made it to the final. And we ended up playing Alberta in the final. They had scouted us really well. So we had a very tense, emotional game that went four overtimes. Uh, started at 1 o'clock on Sunday. I think it ended past 4 o'clock. But that was, that was a great game. And who else were some of the players that you had the opportunity to coach that just stick out to you, you know, on the provincial team? I know there's probably so many, and you don't want to leave people out, but, you know, what were some of the, the fun special well, summers or players that you got to be, you know, work with? In 89, of course, I had uh, Dean Adams and Derek Walsh. They were all Maple Ridge, Pitt Meadows kids, and Dan Beebe. They were kids that were in my area, and so I knew them quite well. I had Steinfeld from Mountain one year. I've had Putsy. Putsy is a great kid. Okay, so as a leader, as a person, positive, polite, unbelievable. I wish there were more kids like him. <laughs> and I had the provincial team just a few years ago. We went to the Final Four in Halifax. I'm just trying to think who was on that team. <laughs> There you go. Even four years ago, I can't even remember. But <laughs> Doug Dell will tell you all about who was on that team. Because <laughs> well, I had his I, kid know, on that team. Wait, pardon me? What's that? I had Doug Dell's kid on that team, Keenan oh, Dell. Yeah. yeah. Well, I had a that was a team team. that everybody didn't think was that good. But we ended up going to the Final Four, playing against Halifax in Halifax. That was an experience because you're playing with the home crowd against the home referees, and we still <laughs> managed to eke out a pretty good game. Are you suggesting that there was a little bit of home cooking there? or? Oh, of course not, but just what you would expect when you go somewhere else. It's like traveling to the island and the Okanagan in B.C., <laughs> You know you have to go because that's where basketball is and you want to help those people out by being at their tournaments, but you know you're going to have to watch out for these guys. <laughs> Love it. Well, I, I see feel... you've seen a lot of those guys too. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Both as a player and as a coach now. So, yeah, you know what that's all about. Um and then, you know, and move on into the 2000s, and that's when I kind of like I, start, I get my job at STM, and you and I had the opportunity to coach one summer together, and that was, you know, an experience for me that I'll never forget. We had Big Robbie 
um, Sacre on the podcast and, you know, oh, yeah. and Doug, Doug Plum as well. And, you know, that was a great summer as right. well, just learning from you and Scott and, and just asking questions and, you know, well, that was Scott's Denny team late and I was the assistant yeah. coach. But the 2000s for me were good because in 2000, we started the grade eight BC championship. Right. And of course, we had pit medals in it every year. And throughout the 2000s, so, I mean, here's the ripple effect. So 2004, we go to the BC Championship, and we win, and we, we don't win it, but we come second, right? And then that was followed up by going to the championship in 2005, 6, 7, 8, 9. We missed in grade 2010 because we had some overwhelming injuries. And then we went in 11, 12, 13. So the ripple effect was that we got almost 10 straight years, 12 years at the BC Championship by developing kids in grade eight. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you turned the grade eight championship and, you know, taking it on as a, as a school and a program and making it something just really worthwhile and a great experience for kids too. Um, and, you know, I think that that's, continues to say a lot about you uh, you know, as a coach and just your, your willingness to kind of make things, you know, I mean, that's a <laughs> the amount of time and energy and effort it takes to organize a championship is, is crazy. And for you to continue to do it every year, year in and year out, yes, your program was benefiting from it because your kids were scorekeeping and doing different things, but that doesn't take away from, you know, everything that comes from it again, creating, you know, great experiences for the kids. Well, nowadays I partner with some other schools to run it. So I had Semi Amu and the coach there running it very well for two years. And now MEI is running it. I don't know if there'll be a championship this year. I hope there is. Yeah. But they did a superb job last year. They have an unbelievable situation with three gyms on their campus. Yeah. So they're doing a great job. Yeah. The nice thing about having that grade eight championship and having our kids in it is that for a large number of our kids, they went to five straight BC championships, grade eight, grade nine, junior, senior, yeah. and senior. So they were five-year players who made it through high school going to a BC championship every year. I'm sure a lot of other people would like that. I, I think there's a lot of programs out there, kids that would just like to experience just one, you know, like just have the opportunity yeah. to go to one, let alone five consecutive. And I hope those kids don't take it for granted. Um, how many times, I'm curious, I don't even know if you know, how many times did you coach multiple teams at the oh, school? <laughs> I, I started by coaching multiple teams at St. Thomas More. I yeah. ended at St. Thomas More by coaching multiple teams. Then when I went to Pitt Middles, I didn't have to coach multiple teams right away. But as we went along, I, I, I do remember that in 1989, I did, you know, throw down the law and said, okay, I'm not coaching any other team except my 89 team. And so I had been coaching multiple teams up until then. But in 89, I coached one team and focused on one team. And that was the team that won it. Then in 1990, right up to when I left, I was coaching two, three teams. And in the summer, I was coaching all the teams. Mm-hmm. I was giving them their, doing their practices. 
And I was either going to their games or I had a parent or another coach go to their games. Mm -hmm. But I was doing them all. And then I don't know if you remember this, you probably, but I remember being in high school and reading the Tri-City News and then doing a story on you, a story on you and Richie. Talk about your guys going to movies. Oh, well, <laughs> and I Richie, you, guys yeah. did, you did a whole movie review thing. And I mean, my parents thought it was yeah. like the funniest thing they had ever read in their entire lives. <laughs> Richie and I became good friends. Now, we didn't know each other till he came to Thomas Moore for a game. And then I realized he was from Coquitlam. He didn't really live that far from me. And we had some of the same interests. So, hey, let's go to a movie together. So we ended up going to many movies together. I, of course, we saw a lot of duds along the way as well as good movies. <laughs> I, but, yeah, that was then. We don't do that now anymore. I think we're too busy. But that was good. Well, I and, now, that. Well, and now movies are like you got to take out a mortgage just to go to a movie and get a popcorn yeah. and a, and a freaking diet Coke, man. It's crazy. Well, the other thing yeah. back then is that coaches worked together at some camps. Like when we went to the BC school sports camp, there was myself, there was Richie, there was Don, yeah. there was Norm Bradley. There was, uh, the guy from mission, uh, trying to think of his name. He's retired now as a coach, but yeah, uh, these guys were all there. Yeah. You know, it's not too unbelievable to look at that group that was at these, these camps, the same camp for like five, six summers, and we all won a BC championship each your turn. Yeah. So Ken Dockendorf won his, Norm Bradley won his, Norm Bradley was the first, uh, I won mine, and Richie Chambers won his, or two. Yeah. I, and I was lucky to win a second. So, you know, being a movie buff, what's, uh, what's your favorite movie of all time, then? I'll throw you on the spot here. Oh, my God, that's hard to tell. I mean, yeah, I, top, I'd, have to, I'd have to think about that. Okay. All time, favorite movie. Oh, my God. What just comes to you right that's away? That's a tough one. What, maybe it's not your all time. What's one that you know is like in your top 10 ish or a couple? I mean, if I was to watch a movie again, I'd watch Rocky again. Yes. I, something like that. That's a tough question. Fair enough. You have to go to Hollywood on, and on, on their website and pick out a movie there. Okay, you I think... watched Driving Mrs. Daisy today. That nice. was a good movie. Nice. <laughs> That kind of told me what it's going to be like as I get older. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm then, almost there now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about, uh, you know, as we keep moving forward here and, you know, aware of time and everything, and just got a few more questions for you, but we also want to put you into the lightning round where you're going to have to think on the fly a little bit. Um, oh, God. I, I think one thing... For, if you're do you talk about Pitt Meadows basketball or Coach Goulet basketball, you know, people talk about the flex, right? So right. why what was so what was so important to you about the flex and why did you feel I've always just been curious about this. Um, why was it something that and you you know, you modified it through the years, you tweaked it, you 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 know, you threw different things in. It wasn't the only thing that you did, but um how and why was the flex so important to you as a coach throughout your career? Well, you have to look at the kind of kids you're coaching. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, first of all, I had the passing game, which I ran for years. Mm-hmm. So a one-two-two passing game. And then I ran the flex, which was a, I guess, a four-one-two or whatever. I don't know. I don't look at it that way. But for me and for the kind of kids I was, it was important to have some uh, responsibilities that they could see and that they could carry up no matter what happens on the floor. So they could get into the flex anytime. And if the game kind of went away awry, I just say, well, look, get back into the flex and run it till you get a good shot. Mm-hmm. And so that worked really well for us. And like in 89, okay, so my, my philosophy changed a little bit. I started using the flex in 85. In 89, when we won the BC Championship, the flex was the only uh, set that I used. So it was the only offense that I used. And then in 11 years later, <coughs> when we won it in 2000, we used the flex, and I think we had 32 set plays that we could just run one at a, after another at you. And like... What's the big school in Edmonton? Ross Shepard. Yeah. I remember playing Ross Shepard at the Western Canada tournament and we're pretty close at halftime. Second half, we ran about 22 consecutive plays and scored on each one of them. And you know what? By the end of the game, those boys were crying. <laughs> they couldn't keep up with us. Yeah. They were crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my philosophy changed. Right. Now, I started running a lot of set plays since then. But if I were to go back and coach a team and I had them from the beginning on, I would run the flex and teach them the flex. And then I would add the set plays. Okay. Everything they can handle. So, I mean, you've got to set plays for your best players. To me, that's what you have to do. So, mm-hmm. if, we're, if we're running a backdoor play where we're going to get you open, it's got to be somebody that when you get them open can make a shot and can make a good cut. So you're always running stuff for your best players. You're not just running plays. You're running plays to your best player. Love it. Love a little X and O in there. That's great stuff. Um, And then obviously, you know, you know, you move forward and you're continuing to coach at Pitt Meadows and everyone kind of knows the story with how everything went down. Um, And I think, you know, it was really disheartening. Well, that's what I said. Yeah. You know, like it, the road to success is the highway is always covered with obstacles. Yeah. And, you know, I had some very good principals support me for 38 years at Pitt Meadows. And then along comes this idiot. And, you know, like the whole wall falls down and like you're done. Right? Because he doesn't like what you do. He's jealous. He wants to be the big shot in the school. And you're taking too much of the attention. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty happy to have had some real good principles from the beginning of my time to up until that time at Bit Meadows. Yeah, that's and I think um were you surprised or taken a bit back when everything happened just by, you know, much like we talked about at the start, but just how many people, even even people that you never coached or maybe even didn't know a lot about that were just kind of disheartened and turned off by 
how they how you were treated and, and the support that came with that. Was that a surprise to you or was it have well, you even looked back and reflected on it? Yeah. It all started with Steve Nash posting a comment, then Rob Sacre, and then uh, Kelly Olenek. So when yeah. three NBA players had posted a comment, holy <laughs> smokes, did that ever get everybody's attention? It went viral. Yeah. So, you know, I got to give my side of the story. Yeah. How these people were just a bunch of cowards. Mm -hmm. I mean, like every other team, you tell the parents, hey, you don't like what's going on. Please come and tell me. And Ron Walsman, who was also my attendant, uh, assistant at that time. Of course. Reminded the parents that they had all agreed to this. Yeah. All right. So they were cowards. Great. And the principal was a coward too because he just fell into this rut with these parents. Mm -hmm. And I think too is, you know, unfortunately as people, you know, not to dwell on this a lot because your story is great and you've impacted so many people and, and, and young men and like we've talked about, um, but you know, it, you know, it is a part of your, your journey and, you know, you did have some tough times, like you talked about having the door slammed on you. And I think as, as human beings, unfortunately, we're quick to judge, right? And so someone may see your coaching style or my coaching style or Ian Heidley or an Eba Hart, and it's a little more vocal and loud, but people don't really understand what actually is being said and what you're teaching. And I think, you know, it's okay for kids and young people to be challenged and to be try to make them better, right? Whether it be as basketball players and, uh, you know, how many percentage of the kids you had didn't move on, but they learned a lot about basketball and being a part of a team. And, and I think, you know, that's one of the things that I've always, always took away. And I'll never forget my first two years at STM. I went out to the valleys. They were out at Thomas Haney. And I think you had just played Rick Hansen, who had uh, Jacob Dirksen. And you oh, were yes. loading up your stuff. And I was just about to say hi to you. And I don't even know if you remember this, but a parent from the other school came over to you and said something to the effect of, you know, I just can't believe how, you know, you talk to your players and, you know, yeah. you know you're, you're disappointing. And, and the way that you handled it, it was just great. You basically were just, you know, like, you don't know anything about me. Kind of get out of my face. Look, you know, look at my boys. They just won. They're super happy. And, and I think that's one of the things I always admired about you is that you, you stuck true to who you were and you didn't change yourself to make other people happy. And if people didn't like it, they didn't have to play pit medals. They didn't have to play for STM. You know what I mean? And, and I, and I think that um, that's an important thing for everyone to take away in, in, from your story as well. And I coached lacrosse for 15 years. They didn't have to play for me there either, but amen. <laughs> this is exactly, uh, I say amen to what everything you just said. It's just, you know, I've had lucky to have kids over the years that could handle criticism, could handle a tough coach, could handle some of the yelling, could figure out to take the message, get the message and forget the barking. Mm -hmm. So that was good. Mm -hmm. yeah. When you have kids who are sprawled like they are today and their parents are sprawled, some of the parents think we're coaching them when we're coaching teams. We're <laughs> actually coaching their kids but they're not ready to let go. Yeah. Right. Because they're not ready to let go. They're looking at you and what you're doing all the time. So my word to today's coaches is be cautious. You're a volunteer and you think people are being really are grateful for that. Believe me, they aren't. They'll turn on you in a second. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So you got to know that going into it. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, um, you know, I think too, maybe sometimes kids get sensitive and stuff and, you know, it's kind of stuff that we have to say it, but it's like, just take a step back and think, am I coaching you to not be successful? I'm coaching you to be successful. I'm here giving up my time and energy so that you can improve, right? Like you're not giving up all that time to have them not do well, right? So it's just uh, interesting. And I, and I agree and would echo your thoughts on that 100%. Well, so the other thing sharing that. is that if you're coaching a team at a high level, and your, your expectation is to make the BCs or to win the BCs, not everybody on that team is going to be able to play at that high level. Mm-hmm. And so you're probably going to coach them differently than you coach everyone else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even though maybe the coach isn't giving you everything that you want, you have to look around and say, oh, I'm not at the level of this team. I, I got, what I get, I've got to be happy with. And I think too many players just think that they're so good that, you know, that you should just kowtow to them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like when you ask parents today about their kids, oh, he's going to be in the NBA. And you go, oh, my God, you don't know the, the first thing about how, what it takes to get into the NBA. Yeah. You, you better go spend some time. Um, Corbin, you know, our junior boys coach who you've met has a question for you before we uh, put you into the lightning okay. round. Okay. So. Coach, uh, I just want to thank you for your time. And obviously, uh, uh, we coached coach against each other a couple of times. It's been special for me. Just, uh, you know, never had you as a coach personally. But, you know, all the things I hear from from Mitch and from everybody else that I talk to, just, you know, you're a legend, right? So my quick question for you is, um, it's, a, it's Mitch will, will uh, enjoy this one. Do you still have, uh, I got lucky at Tulay Lip Casino, that license plate by any chance? You might Oh, uh, Coach Gucci. No, I had to get rid of it. <laughs> do you remember, though? Do you remember? You may not remember this. The year that we coached together. I coached on the U-17 provincial team with Scott Allen, who was the head coach at White Rock Christian, um, an absolute dynasty of a program there for many years. And Rich Goulet was the assistant coach, if you could imagine. And I was young and I think I was 25 and I just thought, what, what an opportunity for me to just sit back and shut my mouth and just listen. Um, it was a national uh, summer. It was a summer games year. So I was technically listed as the manager because I didn't have my level three or anything. Uh, and I just took it all in. We, we went to write White Rock Christian every day and practiced. We had a stack team. We had uh, Bull Kong, Scott Lee, Alex Murphy, Big Rob Sacre was on that team, Doug Plum, Calvin Westbrook. Like we were just so talented. It was it was crazy. Brent Malish, Graham Bath. There's so many guys um, from that team. And, you know, Coach Goulet, one of the things that I loved about him was if you asked him questions, he would give you answers. So many times We'd be at a Denny's or a restaurant in the evening when the kids were in their room just chatting and I would just ask stories and he was so open and honest. Sometimes what people maybe get turned off about him, but I appreciate how honest he was. But I also realized him and I had a good relationship. He knew me as a player in high school and, you know, we could joke together. And so uh, one of the trips we we may have ended up at the uh, Tulalip Casino, for those that know where the Tulalip (laughs) Casino is. 
And um, on our way out, um, Coach Goulet is notorious for maybe liking, you know, the slot machines. And so we go to the casino and on our way out, there's these license plate, license plate covers, covers and they say, uh, I got lucky at Tulalip Casino. And this is back in the day when, you know, this is 2005. So we're using flip phones and everything. And he came to me then literally the next day. It was just funny how it all worked out. And he's like, Mitch, all like, yeah, what's up, coach? And uh, he says, hey, my phone, it won't work. Can you take a look at it? And he's like, I usually use my tech guy at school. And I said, no, let me take a look. So I got it working, wiping off all the crust that's on it. It like, hasn't been washed or wiped down and since he's owned it. And then I realized oh, oh, oh. that I've got it open and I can, and I've figured out how to change his ringtone. And I thought, okay, and this is, this is before you could put a song or whatever there were just, you know, 10 options of ringtones, right? And so I found this one that was like a circus ringtone. And it was like, dun, 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 dun. so I changed it. <laughs> and we get to the game. I was in the other van. We get to the game wherever we're playing. Um, same summer that I was talking about Isaiah Thomas ripping us up. And Coach Allen's doing his pregame. And I, and I just kind of reach around and give Goulet his, uh, his cell phone. And he kind of gives me the look like thanks. And then... I swallow the uh, the international roaming fees and I turn my back and I just call him and I'm just giggling, right? And he's just standing there. And if anyone knows the Rich Goulet, kind of hunched over, looking through the top of his glasses, mouth open, listening to Scott Allen talking pregame. And all of a sudden his phone is like, <laughs> and what you guys have to understand is like, the other kids don't have cell phones, right? Like this is not, it's not like, we're used to today where a cell phone goes off and no one blinks. Like they're all looking and Goulet is just frozen. He's just staring at Scott and, and he's just like, what? What? <laughs> and then he looks over at me and then he looks back and he just goes, Mitchell. And he grabs his phone <laughs> and turns it off. And so the summer goes on. He walks into practice one day. He's got his briefcase. He's got his half cab socks with his gold watch on his collared shirt tucked into his khaki shorts. And he's like, I still haven't been able to change my ringtone. And I just start dying, right? So what do I do? I get the last practice of the summer before we go to the nationals. I get Scott's son, Tyus Allen, who's a, just a kid at this point. We sneak out and we take off. He has his truck, his red Mazda truck that he always parks up on the curb at Pitt Meadows. And it's his license plate says Coach G. And I take the license plate cover off. And I put, I got lucky at Tulalip Casino on there, right? And I'm just thinking, <laughs> how long, <laughs> how long is this going to go while his license plate cover is on? So we go to nationals, first week of August, summer ends, great summer, awesome group of guys say goodbye. Oh, it's like late October. And I come out of school one day and I have a voicemail. So I standing in the parking lot and you know, getting to my voicemail. It's like, hey, Mitchell. So I'm driving down the road today and some lady rear ends me because she says she couldn't stop looking at my license plate cover. He goes, you asshole. <laughs> now, <laughs> he didn't actually get rear-ended. He just realized kind of towards Thanksgiving weekend, maybe even later, that he had a license plate cover on his back of his truck that said, I got lucky at Tulalip Casino. And just one of my 
fond memories of him. Just a great guy. Um, there's so many other stories I could tell, but I just, for those people that know who coach Goulet is, I saw the man doing handsprings in 1993 to still coaching the game, you know, this year. So hilarious guy and absolute legend. And, you know, my stupidity just took advantage of him and had a few laughs at his expense, but he took it well and, and was able to take it in stride and, and let me have it. And I actually believed for a second that he got into a rear ender and I thought, oh man, and then he let me off the hook. So coach Rich Goulet, absolute legend. Um, I got Tyus Allen cause he was just a little guy. Remember? Right. Um, and I stole, or I, well, they had them for free at the Tulalip Casino. And it said, I got lucky at Tulalip Casino. And him and I snuck out <laughs> to the parking lot. And we, yeah. ch- and we changed your license plate cover. <laughs> right. I remember that. Yeah. And you then guys. you called me, you called me about mid-October and you left me a voicemail. And it was, you did really well. It was like about a minute of you basically making me sit, feel like, someone rear-ended you because they were reading your license plate cover and then you basically said you were just kidding or whatever so yeah oh yeah because then i had to go redo the whole thing but yeah. what about now there isn't even a casino been hasn't been open for like eight months now yeah i mean i'm dying here yeah jeez man gonna be a casino open somewhere soon <laughs> i know the provincial government wants to open one because they're losing all that money you got but it not in covid yeah <laughs> you just <laughs> i know you give me a, a hard time every time you see me at a casino yeah <laughs> so i could see your but that's the we... price of being on one of my teams right i can't yeah. remember if our summer games team wanted that year or not we lost in the semi to ontario oh, okay yeah. yeah lost in the semi to ontario with no, no, that was the year before i had you the year before you yeah. were a year younger you played on the summer games team here in bc Oh, yeah, yeah. So I can't remember if that team won it or not. Now, I know about the year later when we lost to Ontario, we're up like 15. And my friend there, yeah, John Allen, what was he doing? Oh, my God. I was not happy after that game. We had a chance to make our mark in the provincial team by being the first team to beat or just kill Ontario. Yeah. And... Oh, I know what it was. He never subbed. He yeah. killed the guys who were on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> they were just dying at the end of the game. I <laughs> I don't want to get into too much of that, but yes, that's what happened. And I remember, you know, talking about that during the summer, you know, and you trying to encourage Coach Allen to, you know, maybe look to play a few more guys and rely on a few more guys. And, and yep, we were up 15 in the third quarter and it just slowly, painfully kind of just chipped away and we ended up losing. Yeah, you're, so your memory does come back. You got that one, right? Yeah. That one I got right because that was so painful. And yeah. after the game, Scott was chasing me for my opinion on the game. And Rich Chambers happened to be there that night. Yeah. So Rich and I are walking out and Scott is coming running after us. He wants my opinion, like right now. And I said, no, I don't want to give you my opinion. I, but he ran after me till I gave him my opinion. You have to play more players. Yeah. You kill the guys who were on the floor. Yeah. And like we had guys on the bench that could do very well. Absolutely. Nope. Yep, you're bang on with that one. That was in uh, at the University of Regina, the Canada Games year. Yeah. And- you taught me how to play crib and I beat you in the first game and I thought you were going to punch me in the face. 
beginner's luck, yeah. But then you skunk, yeah. But then you skunked me like six in a row, and I don't think I've played crib ever right. since. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, the good times, eh? Oh, such fun times. Yeah, that was a great summer. Before we let you go, you ready to answer some random questions for us? Sure. Okay. What are your thoughts about ketchup on macaroni? Too like random. A, Whatever you like. The question's too random? Yeah. Whatever you like. If you and like what, it, I like it. Do you, do you put ketchup on macaroni? No, but I've tried it. Yeah. Okay. But it's not okay. now. Okay. Not uh, now, no. Who, is it macaroni and cheese or just macaroni, macaroni? and cheese. Yeah, mac and cheese. Yeah. No. Okay. Love it. Me either. In your opinion, <laughs> in your opinion, who's the greatest basketball player ever to walk the face of the earth? Oh, to walk the face of oh, Michael Jordan, of course. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I mean, LeBron is great. But Michael Jordan was more like a human being to me. LeBron is just a he-man. God, that guy is a beast. Yeah. And Michael Jordan just had all these great moves. So Michael Jordan would be the, the, my choice. Perfect. And has been my choice. Everybody asks that question. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. Yeah, but you know what? Hey, we're not everybody, all right? Relax. Don't throw... Don't throw a hoop journey into the whole candy bowl. Okay? Yeah. Careful. <laughs> um, you've got some quiet time. You're sitting there. You've got the laptop open. What's, what are some musical things that you're listening to? What kind of artists or music do you listen to? I don't listen to any. But I do remember that on one of the things that we did together, I think it was when you were with Scott Allen, yeah. That I would play a snippet of the beginning of a song, and yeah. that you would name the song. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. you named all the ones correctly. And that, and now I'm looking at that show. What's it called on TV that people can win prizes for doing that? Yeah. Should have been me. And I'm thinking you should be on that show. Yeah. I forgot how mind blown you were by that. Yeah. Like every song I I knew. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's a great still, thing. To quality to have but <laughs> yeah i don't know if do you still do that <laughs> who uh a couple more questions um who do you think in your mind is the greatest player that you've had the opportunity to coach or who are and i know coaches never really like to necessarily pick people out because they don't want to leave people out but who are some of the greatest well, players that you had the opportunity to coach do you think to me there's the Players that I coach on provincial teams. Yeah. So that would be Steve Nash. Okay. And there's the players that I coach at at uh, Pitt Meadows. That would be Derek Welsh. Yeah. Talk a little Derek bit. Derek Welsh was a yeah. sweet guard. Oh, yeah. He could do everything. Yeah. He has an amazing story, too. Cool. Get us in touch with him. Yeah, you know, I... When we won the championship. Yeah. Uh, Derek Walsh averaged about, I don't know, 15 points in the first game. And it came down to, I think, the second game. He didn't score a point. Yeah. And then the third place, 
This was a little trick that Bill Disbrough, Disbrough played on him. Bill Disbrough came into the stands and said, oh, if you need any help getting to university, I can help you. And, you know, he broke the rule that you don't talk to the other team's players just before the game. Right. So Derek didn't like that. He went out and scored 31 against Bill. Oh. Came, okay. came back. And then in the final, he was the only player on our team to score in the final quarter. And all his shots that he made were left-handed shots going left. Wow. So that was an amazing story. Yeah. A great guard, great kid. Yeah. And I had the opportunity to play against Tommy, right? He was my, when I was in high yeah, school, his brother. So that's his brother, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great story. Um, two more questions, and thank you so much. For, you know, this has been so good. And like we said, we wanted to get you on here for so long. Um, if you have five bucks on you, what bag of chips are you grabbing? What's the greatest bag of chips, do you think, in your mind? Oh, just regular chips. Just straight up salted? Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. Regular chips. What are the, what's no, the regular chips called? Like Ripple, Ruffle, Old Dutch? Uh, no, not Ripple. Not Lays? Old Dutch. Lays, yeah. Okay. No dip or anything, eh? Just straight up? Well, a dip I might get every now and then. Depends how I feel. Yeah. But if I get a dip, I'm getting sour cream. And I'm getting a Lipton onion soup, and I'm mixing them together. And yes. now finding Lipton onion soup is really difficult. Not every huh. store carries Lipton. But if you're using any other onion soup, it's not going to taste very good. <laughs> you heard it here first, people. I'll keep my eyes That's peeled it. for you. And then last question for you. Um, if you could do it all again, you would. You would what? Oh, of course. You would just do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Despite the walls coming crashing down, I've done what nobody else can done can do. I've coached for 55 years. I have a winning record. I have coached thousands of kids. I've won five BC championships. I've been to... The final almost 10 times in BC championships. And I went to BC championships 20 or 30 sometimes. So I'm, I've had a good career. Yep. Anybody else would love to have the career I've had. Absolutely. And um, like you said, is there a bit of a threat that we may see you on a court at some point? With one leg right now, probably not. But who knows what can happen in a wheelchair? You got it. Uh, um, I'm hoping for my prosthetic so I can get up and move around and good. not be hindered by it. Good, good. I am coaching at or helping out at uh, the uh, prep team in Port Coquitlam. Okay. Um, before we let you go, any last shout outs or comments? Um, anything you feel like you didn't get a chance to say or. Um, and if not, then we will uh, let you be on your way, and we thank you. Well, Richie Chambers, I love you. <laughs> Hopefully you're on next. <laughs> We're working on it. That man is a hard man to track down. So, um, Oh, don't I know it. Yeah, Good I luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, appreciate your, we appreciate your blessing and support, but uh, Coach, from okay. the bottom of my heart, 
Thank you so much. Um, Don't worry. Once yeah. he hears that I did it, he'll be more than happy to find time for you. <laughs> As I love the it. coach of the province. The, the competitive the competitive fire even in podcasts. Who would have thought, hey? Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, let me, let me say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for everything that you've done for the game of basketball. Um, thank you for giving countless hours. Um, I can tell you, I can say, you know, I will carry memories of you for the rest of my life and I appreciate you. And there's so many people in our province and across Canada that respect and appreciate what you've done for the game and for so many. So to say that it was an honor to have you on this show, um, would be an understatement and we are very grateful and thankful for the time that you've given us and we wish you nothing well, but thank help. thank you. Uh yeah. I mean, without wish... people like you, we, we don't look good. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's right. Well, we Have wish you nothing but, nothing but health and happiness for the future and uh, definitely keep in touch, all right? Okay. Okay, be well, Coach. Thanks Bye -bye. to everyone, and uh, we will see you on our next episode.